the line somewhere between a little and a lot there's enough that was where it all started I'm Josh Monk and Kidlet author, father, and science communicator, joined by my co-host Brenna Jennerette, Kidlet author, mom, and avid rock climber, and potential game show contestant, we learn, as well as editor and collaborator John Seymour, author, illustrator, family man, and informatics analyst. This is the podcast You Make a Tribute of Verse, where we talk to Kidlet creators, share their stories, and learn from their journeys. This week, we talk to an author and poet whose two books releasing in 2023 cover subjects so incredibly worthy of investigation and exploration. As of the episode drop date, Jessica Whipple's Enough is is a week away from release and deals with a concept we all could stand to grasp a bit better. I Think I Think A Lot releases in August of this year and is similarly special and personal in, in its subject matter, drawing from Jessica's own personal journey through OCD. We'll cover with Jessica where these books come from and where she hopes they touch families' hearts. But first, for us, Justin Cologne and the Kidlet Hive are enough. Coming in the month of May are Justin's four-week class with Caldecott Honor-winning author-illustrator Brian Lees and his course Devouring the Elephant, breaking down the enormous task of creating a picture book dummy into digestible bites. Register by May 3rd and get ready to get excited, not intimidated, about tackling the dummy process. And have you ever wondered how books get translated and published in other languages and places around the world? May the 4th be with Alison Helliger's rights director and literary agent with Stimola Literary as she covers Foreign Rights 101 on May the 4th, in case you didn't get my Star Wars joke. There's more awesome in store with Justin's affordable and inclusive classes to come at kidlithive.com. And now, Jessica Whipple's verse. Um, nobody can see this, but it's a bright orange secretary desk. Mm -hmm. um, Ooh. But yeah, so I bought it at an antique shop before I was even engaged to my husband, but I was like, this is going to be in my house someday. And my dad, who was really sweet, drove it home like 60 or 70 miles tied to the top of our Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> like, and I have no idea how he did it. Um, I have no idea how it didn't like blow off, but <laughs> so did it stay in in your dad's or your parents house yeah it stayed at my parents house while i was living at home and it was a computer desk then um mm. now i don't normally sit there because it doesn't have a very big writing surface but i, I was gonna it. say my mom loves furniture like that and we had a similar one in my house growing up and yeah when you fold when you fold it down right there's not as much space as you would like you're sort of like right cool yeah. i can like <laughs> and there's just no and then there's these like really cool compartments does yours have any like secret drawers or anything because we had one Nothing with like a, like a it's all pretty exposed like false bottom oh i mean that's that would cool. be cool <laughs> yeah that would be cool all right, yeah, no false had... bottoms with Jessica Whipple. <laughs> <laughs> the false bottom was very cool. It was like a secret keyhole and like this key that you had to like hide somewhere. It was, yeah, it was fun, but not That's enough writing cool. space. So we got rid of ours. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pausing, pa pause here to acknowledge that I started recording, which you probably saw when we, when we enter episodes with a certain level of energy, we try and capture all that and then cut out the fluff. But there's okay, not yeah. that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's sure, usually I, 
I didn't notice you were recording, okay. so it's fine. All right. Well, we're <laughs> recording now. And then we'll edit it to be more spiffy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, what a great I, word, by the way. Yeah. That's that's our baseline, right? Baseline yeah. spiffy. We have to start. Yeah. To yeah. start at spiffy. Oh. Oh, oh there oh. you are. Okay. You popped off for a second. Yeah. Not in like a good way, but like out of the, <laughs> out of the recording. <laughs> Okay, she's back. That was weird. All right. Um, I have to acknowledge, sometimes we have conversations, and you can hear us okay, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes we have conversations where Brenna has a special connection with whoever we're talking to, and it's like, I feel a certain way about being a mom or doing outdoorsy stuff or, you know, F the man, whatever, whatever <laughs> the, the connection is. And then I kind of sit back and I go like, all right, I'm going to take this time to ask some some, some smart smart questions or something. But I, I will say that I, uh, two points in your background in history that we share is marketing and communications, uh, which I do now and you have done in the past and also Pittsburgh. Uh, I went to high school in Pittsburgh and Upper St. Clair. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's cool. When did you move? Right after high school. Okay. I was going to go. Yeah, we had lived there uh, for my dad's job and then he changed jobs. We moved to Kansas City and back to the Midwest. Um, I went to Upper St. Clair, was going to go to Syracuse University for photography. Uh, oh. I ended up going to journalism school out here. I don't know. I, Brenna, you and I haven't never talked about this yeah, before. I, I didn't know that. Uh, love Pittsburgh. Awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know how I didn't know that. Maybe you don't talk about it on Twitter. I don't. It's not really like a key part of my personal, you know, present present history and self. Yeah, right. That's true. I, that's fair. Yeah. No. Yeah, those are, are pretty. A, those are pretty like split. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are you a Pennsylvanian? Yes, I moved from Western PA Pittsburgh to Eastern PA three years ago. So now I'm in Lancaster. Just getting the full experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I go back and forth on the turnpike multiple times a year. I might, I might take this out of the podcast. I don't know, but I have to share, uh, it's not a story storm idea, but it was a random snippet that occurred to me, um, that you will find amusing. It's like a, like a picture book snippet. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, dra- I came up with the, uh, uh, Dracula, which is a vampire pencil lives in, comes from Pennsylvania. There you go. All right. and that, so that, that concept is so perfect that I will never write it down. Well, you need to take it out because other people are going to take it from you. It's a free idea. It's true. And actually, that is also in the podcast recording that we did with Amy Dykeman. We told her too because we were like, you're going to love this. And she did. So we'll have to make a mental note. Please take it out of the Amy Dykeman episode as well. I have no <laughs> so idea. the day he came up with it. Yeah. Oh, that's. I saw a tweet the other day um, about a writing barn event it's all about collaboration. So maybe you and Amy can collaborate on that idea. Oh, how fun would that be, be so dude? lucky. She, I be should be so awesome. lucky that she would lower herself to my level <laughs> and collaborate on a project with me. It would be, you amazing. know, I saw Set that. I manifest. saw that. Right. I saw that writing barn um, email as well. And my thought was, um, Josh and I have been talking about co-authoring a book for a while now. So we need to, yeah, we need to get on board with that because yeah, a collaboration would be so fun. We had, um, Pamela, shoot, I don't remember how to her last name. Thank you. Aaron Berg. Yeah, Aaron Berg yeah. 
<laughs> on and she talked all about how she had co-authored her book and it was yeah it was incredible I had so many questions about how do you do that and do you like do you switch off chapters because she had done a middle grade um and it was yeah it was just it was fascinating it was really interesting like how you go about doing that it was really good yeah and put that trust in people we're here to talk about you though Jessica Whipple thanks you're welcome yeah, thank you so much <laughs> for, for coming on me. Yeah, we're so we're so pleased to talk to you. And I just, man, that arc you sent us yesterday, wow! It's, I mean, it it's exactly what I said in the email. So it is like it's this huge topic. Enough is right. Enough, just having what you need, and you distilled it like so perfectly into this book. Oh. And it's very like just very sparse text. And those illustrations, are you kidding me? Like, wow, <laughs> the whole book. It was just is it's incredible. It's really good. Thank you for that. That's awesome to hear. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm flattered um, and honored that you think that. And yeah, I agree. The illustrations are awesome. Um, Nicole, the spread where you flip and there's the mom and the daughter, it's just like, I don't know, for me, it's like a, a release, like a breath, an exhale. It's just like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I to read the book to I understand. <laughs> My favorite spread was the one with the umbrellas. I thought that was so good because it's obviously like yeah. a very dreary day, but then there's all these like pops of colors and these like tiny little boots under the, like it just, it was really good. And like the subtle rainbows throughout because it's the, you know, the reflection from the rain and the, it just, yeah, yeah I loved, I loved the color palette of it because I generally steer away from like, like gentle sort of quiet, like more subdued books are not not my forte it's not what I'm usually drawn to but I loved the way that she sort of mixed those together like with the with the pops of color but also it was you know it's sort of like a subtler text and sort of just like that feel it was really good sort of walking that line yeah thanks where did the book come from well um sorry did you hear all that yeah, yeah. I felt revving, revving up I felt for our conversation. <laughs> um, so where did it come from? I I hope this isn't going to be too long of a story, but um, oh, take your time. I was I was holding a baby, my baby, my second baby. Yeah, um, this was about five or six years ago, um, and I just I don't know a thought came to me. I don't know where thoughts come from. Um, I don't know what you guys believe, but I believe that we get some of our thoughts from God. And I don't, I don't know where this one came from, but um, it was just about the concept of enough and how I was struggling trying to get my older daughter at the time to understand that. And I still am, and I'm still trying to get myself to understand it. But um, it's just the line... Somewhere between a little and a lot, there's enough. That was where it all started. Um, it was the first line that came to me. I had just recently got an iPad at the time. And so I was like jotting things down on my iPad and I just kept kind of going with it. And I was like, let me kind of think about this and see what else I can say about enough. And it went in a hundred different directions. Um, I don't think in a linear way. So it went everywhere all at once. Um, and then I kind of thought like, how does a picture book become a picture book? How does an idea get beyond my iPad? Um, 
I have a writing background. So like we said, with the marketing background, there's writing there. Um, I had also done poetry in high school. Um, just, you know, I was a copywriter for a while. So it, it was always there. And I kind of thought like, if I can do that, can I make the jump to do this? Like, can I try to write a picture book? What does it even take? Um, so I got all my ideas down, just was like, okay, let's just see what, what do people do? And I researched agents, I researched querying, I researched publishing and just kept going with it and just kept getting deeper and um, joined the SCDWI and everything just kind of blossomed from there. So I, I'm super like the writerly part of me is super excited that my first idea is the first idea that I'm publishing, like the first book I'm really I got it in one kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just like, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you should see my spreadsheets of all the rejections, <laughs> like hundreds, <laughs> you know, you know how it is um, across multiple manuscripts and publishers and agents. So, um, but I, I was committed to my idea. I liked my idea. I felt like there was something there. Um, and I was getting feedback along the way from critique partners and SCBWI critique partners that I had met and started to get acquainted with um, positive feedback about that manuscript. So it's like, okay, we're just going to keep going. And I didn't have any, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't have any clear reasons not to stop. So it's kind of where the book came from and also where I came from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did, were you did it? Oh, right. sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, did it rhyme at first? To, like to begin with, because I feel like everybody's first manuscript rhymes <laughs> and then, no. right. And then you put it out there and everyone's like, guys rhyming. No, like that's no. where Josh and I come from. Right. Okay. <laughs> no, I never, I never went there because I'm confident in my inability to rhyme and write in such a way. For me, a rhyme is a hindrance as a writer. Mm. I love reading it, but as a writer, I'm in a box and I don't, I just can't do much with rhyme. Yeah. As a poet, have you always felt that way? Yes. Do you find that a lot of people's conception of what poetry is is incorrect in terms of requiring meter and rhyme? Mm. There's a lot of the exercises and things that we go into in school. I'm wildly diverging from talking about your book. We'll redirect okay. back to your book. A bit, <laughs> that's one, that's one thing that I was curious about doing research on you and knowing that you're a published poet. Um, the, this notion of our Earth Twitter exchange where you clearly stated, like, I'm, I'm not a rhymer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to draw that line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess part of it's because I don't write very much poetry for children. Um, I write some and have had some published, but most of my poetry is for adults. And I don't want to say it's frowned upon, but um, it certainly changes a poem to rhyme it. So I just, I don't do it well. I just stay away from it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard. It is. It's like we have a mutual respect for each other rhyming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting to talk about um, what it means to like, what, what is poetry? Like the definition of poetry? Like I, um, so I started writing a middle grade this past year. And so I was like, well, I need a critique group for middle grade. And two, two of the five of us have um, novels in verse that they're, awesome. they've, they've gotten their agents with. Right. And so I had known of novels in verse, but I just assumed it rhymed. And I was like, 
whoa, people wrote middle grades in verse and the whole thing rhymes. Like, that's insane, right? Like, how do you do that? I was so like overwhelmed yeah. by it because I had how never do you do it if you're read not, one. If you're not Shakespeare. <laughs> right. Or if you, I was like, what does that even mean? So one my, you know, one of the very first things that one of my critique partners submitted to us to read was her novel in verse. And I was like, oh boy, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to give her good notes on this. And I started reading and I was like, wait a second. I'm like, there's no meter. There's no rhyming. Like, and I was like, okay, hold on a second. Like, let me pause. And I like messaged and I was like, hey, I don't want to mess up your meter or like if you've got something going here or if I'm like totally missing what's going on. But, and I'm like, can I suggest like a word change or is that going to like mess up the whole book? Like, you know, because I was like, I don't know what's happening here. So and my, my whole point here is to say like, yeah, poetry and verse is totally different than a rhyming manuscript, which yeah. I, I don't think I fully grasped until like kind of recently. So it's very interesting to draw those lines. And, you know, as somebody who did submit their very first picture book in rhyme, that is a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Cause now I'm like, oh, writing a novel in verse, I could totally do that. I'm like, that's just like really fun, like free association kind of and like wordplay, right? Which I, which I really like. So now I'm like, oh, look at me. I can write in verse. Like I could do that. So, yeah. Well, and also I feel like I know my place, like Diana Murray is like the best at rhyming picture books. So as long as Diana Murray is here, I don't belong in the rhyming picture book (laughs) realm. (laughs) So just like let her do that. She does it so well and Mm -hmm. her stuff is a joy. So I'll just do my thing. We know our specialty. (laughs) Yeah, I have not attempted a rhymer since... Yeah, we learn our lesson and move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So, I mean, m- more about, I mean, enough enough is, and more about the journey there. How how did you? And there's more to this than than the explicit question, and we'll do the you know the follow up thing and all that. But uh, how did you go about getting your editor, or not editor, sorry, um, your agent? Like, what was that? What was that like? Oh, so. Um... I'm kind of sad that I don't get to query anymore now that Emily Keys is my agent. I love querying. It's something you missed. Unrelatable from you. expression. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it's that's the title favorite. of this podcast. Jessica Whipple loves to query. Yes. Because <laughs> that yes. will stand out. Like I feel like nobody likes to query. Please tell me more. <laughs> no, I love it. Um so I I guess I just saw it as throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know, Mm. as long as you can do that over and over again, and it doesn't hurt you as a person or your ego or anything like that. I just kept doing it. Um, You know, sometimes you'd get feedback that was just a little nugget of like, oh, I like this, but I have something like that already. Or I like this, but um, I have too many picture books on my list. So there were always Um, little things that kept me going, little details about myself and my writing that was reassuring enough to let me know that I was on the right track. So that made it easy to just keep querying. But um, how I got my agent, um, I had been querying several manuscripts at the same time to multiple agents. And I don't, I don't know what people think about that. Like some people might say, no, stick to like your strongest thing and 
do it very methodically. I'm not methodical about anything. Um, so I have a nice spreadsheet that's very organized, but I was going in a hundred directions. Um, that's just how I work. So thus the spreadsheet, um, you need that if you're going in a hundred directions. The spreadsheet was my anchor. I, I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm querying agents with multiple manuscripts. Um, enough is, which at that time was called enough, just enough. Um, that was my strongest one. Um, but I was getting feedback that perhaps I should change it because perhaps it's too abstract. Um, I was at a place where I was like, I had specific ideas for the visuals, but I also wanted my text to be spare. So I was in a funny place of like, I, I have ideas, my text is spare. How do I impart these ideas to somebody without being overbearing? So I tried rewriting it in a narrative form. Um, right now it's, you know, it's abstract form. There's, there's no narrative arc. Um, I tried that and I tried querying it that way. So I was querying it in two forms, multiple wow. manuscripts, two agents. Then I, then in January of like 2020, I think it was uh, 2021. I can't remember. Um, I was like, well, let's see what happens if I stop querying agents exclusively and I introduce submitting directly to publishers as well. So now my spreadsheet is like in a hundred more directions. Um, but that's actually was the key because after a few months, Tilbury House responded and really liked enough. So um, I sold that manuscript myself. Um, I didn't have an agent at the time. Um, then after selling that one, I sold... Um, I think I think a lot also myself directly to um, Free Spirit. But that at that point, right before I made that sale was when I, I requeried Emily. Um, she and I had been working, sort of not working together, but kept in touch after a couple of rejections from her. Um, and so I went back to her and said, like, enough is, is happening. At the time, it was enough. Um, I have this other manuscript that I'm about to sell. Can you represent me for it? Um, so she did the contract negotiations with me. So she's my agent for, for, um, what I have on sub now. She's my agent in general, but I made the first two sales myself. She just helped me with the negotiations. So, Interesting. Yeah. so I guess the long and the short of it is I was querying everybody submitting directly to publishers at the same time. I don't know if people want you to do that or not, but that's what I did. And that's what worked. I mean, that's another, wall, right? yeah, that's another strategy though. Like I, cause I feel like any insight into how people are, you know, navigating, getting an agent or publishing or any of it is totally valuable. Cause if that worked for you, I mean, you know, maybe somebody else out there also wants to just like, you know, try everything. So like, yeah, try that method and see, see if it works. That's, and I, I want to make one point too, about how, when you were querying, you had said like, yeah, you were getting stuff back like, oh, it's not right for my list or I, you know, I have something like this already. And I feel like I love your perspective on that, that that was like enough to keep you going. Like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is a good thing. Right. Because I feel like most of us, 
will hear that and be like, oh, that's just a form rejection, right? Like I, cause they, yeah. cause they say that to so many of us, right? Because probably because it's true. I, I'm not saying that it is a form rejection. I think it's probably true, which is why we hear it so often. But I love that you were like, no, this is like enough. This is enough to keep me going. Ah, pun intended. Very, yeah, so yeah. circular. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> but it can, well, it can keep you going and like sort of pursue, pursue it further. Like I, I really like that. Yeah. And I mean, I certainly got form rejections and that was fine. Just, you know, fill out my spreadsheet, say it's a no and move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I just, um, I, I kind of just felt like, why not about a lot of it, you know, Mm -hmm. why not submit to this person? I mean, before, certainly before you engage in a business relationship with someone who's your editor or agent or whatever, you, you don't necessarily owe them anything to, to stick with one particular path. You may as well try it. It's the, the business is not one door and one gatekeeper after the other. It's a bunch of different um, paths to success. Yeah. And I feel like that let's see what happens kind of approaches a thread throughout all of this for me because it started with like let's see if I can write a children's book like let's see what it takes to do that what happens if I do this um just, I guess try a lot of things and see what happens it I, strikes me I, I, I'm not going to put my my personal frame of reference on your experience necessarily but it strikes me as like a it's a communications and marketing perspective to both um be willing to try lots of different stuff to see what works best as well as to be resilient to feedback. I mean, for myself in a corporate setting and you in, an, in I think a nonprofit setting, um, you, you have other stakeholders that you're worried about th- that will have particular thoughts, some of which may not be, you know, in line with uh, how you feel about the work that you've created. Yeah, true. I love Sorry, the idea of, of, no, that's okay. I, I really like the idea of why not. And like taking it a step further is like, why not me? Like, why, why wouldn't it be my manuscript? Right? Like, why, why can't I write a picture book? And why, you know, like, why wouldn't an agent want, you know, to represent me? Because it's, I feel like a lot of so much of it is about perspective, right? Because if you get into this rut about, like, oh, that rejection and this rejection, and I, you know, I'm not a writer and I, imposter syndrome and like all that stuff. I mean, you just get, you get so bogged down. So if you can sort of find like the light or like the hole and just be like, you know, like, so, I mean, picture books are made every day, right? Like, why not mine? So mm-hmm. it's a great, that's a great perspective. And one last thing to circle back around Diana Murray, her, I don't know if you guys have read the story storm post today, but it was from Diana Murray and it was amazing because I have been struggling, struggling with picture book titles recently. And she wrote this whole massive thing about breakdowns about like how to come up with titles. And I was like, I'll copy and paste. I'm going to use that all the time. Like I just put it in my, you know, like my writing technique, whatever folder to like refer to. It was, it's incredible. It was so smart and it was, yeah, it's just, it's really, really good. And her rhyming. Yeah. Spot on. Not relatable (laughs) to you, Jessica. You you just had to add one word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will check it out. It's yeah, it was, it was really, really good. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious about pulling apart what you mentioned about your evolving relationship with Emily. Yeah. Because keeping in touch with an agent after they've passed on you um, bucks conventional wisdom to a certain 
uh, extent, unless you're a podcaster who wants to have an agent that you've queried on your podcast somewhere, <laughs> somewhere down down the line, nice. um, you the the conventional wisdom is query pass silence query pass silence. I mean, so so what did that look like, and what what kind of like work streams were in parallel with your editor negotiations and your publisher submissions? Um. Well, the Tilbury House stuff was all happening while I was still sort of conversing on Twitter with Emily, um, just like superficial things, like responding to her posts or, um, I don't know, I, I think I sent her a few DMs that were relevant to things that she posted that were relevant to things that like we had talked about. But still, like, I didn't think that I was really anybody to her, you know, like, I was just a querying yeah. author. Mm -hmm. We weren't, like, friends or anything. Like, um, at times I wondered, I'm like, does she know that I'm the one that submitted this and then that other thing? Like, <laughs> I think like, sometimes, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do, like if this is the same Brenna Jenneret that said, you know, the, that sent you the really horrible Rhymer manuscript. I, I hope you don't remember, but hello. Yeah. Yeah. So, but... um. I don't know. I, I like her. I feel like um, she has like a wry sense of humor that like I would interact with and some of the things she posted were funny. So like, I don't know, it, it was natural in, in some ways. It was also weird in some ways because I queried her, you know, um, but she was one of the ones that had said like, oh, I like this manuscript. Do you have anything else? And then I would send more and then it would be a pass or like, I would have something new, send her something new, and she'd give me some positive feedback, but it would ultimately be a pass. So she was one of the ones that I knew, um, like, I might have had potential with. So um, they, were, they weren't form rejections with her. They weren't, like, um, you know, really uncomfortable, like, situations or anything mm. where I was ever, like, turned off. So I guess it just, it just happened that way. Um, Twitter helps because you have this platform where you can talk to people that you might not have, you know, an audience with otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love it. You'll have to help us get her on the podcast so we can investigate the nature of her her awareness of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure she would love to be on. Yeah. I will talk it, to her. It is really interesting to talk to because so we've had Jennifer March Soloway and also Joyce Sweeney on and they both have said that they have done sort of similar. They've been in similar situations where they've like, like, I think Jennifer had said, you know, she what was the phrase she used? Not not like he, she's keeping an eye on them, but she's sort kind of is of. like aware of yeah. them. Right. Like she's like yeah, aware yeah. of this author who's like sort of up and coming and she you know, every so often they query her and she's sort of watching this author grow and waiting for when they're ready for her, basically, mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's 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 very interesting because I never think about agents doing that, right? Because I feel like they're just so inundated with like all the queries and the stuff, right? They don't have like the bandwidth to sort of like be like reverse like querying essentially not that they're like you know sending messages out to authors like oh hey like do you need representation not like that but sort of to be aware of us in the way that's like oh yeah I'm gonna keep my eye on that one because like I really like their stuff they're just not there yet 
Um, yeah. That's, that's a really interesting uh, dynamic. I'm going to use this anecdote because today is January 13th and uh, <gasps> Friday the 13th. Launched, that's right. It is Friday the 13th. And we just launched cookie season, a Girl Scout cookie season. And I have two Girl Scouts, but <laughs> it, I'll, I'll drop the link in the show notes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> it's taking co- Girl Scout cookie, cookie buying to a whole new level. <laughs> no. <laughs> the normal the normal querying process feels like door-to-door Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. I go to Jennifer March Soloway's door. I knock. I say, would you like to buy a box that contains a manuscript? She says, no, shuts the door, and I move to the next house. And that's, you know, sometimes you go around the block again when you have a different box of cookies, but it's not necessarily like that. Jennifer March Soloway might be like, mm, yeah, that that's, that felt like it might taste good, but I'll wait till it's maybe a little, a little bit different flavor because they're people too, and they're making decisions, you know, mm-hmm. business decisions on things that they may or may not be able to sell. Yeah. And the door knocking analogy is one that I've used often when trying to encourage people who are querying, like, just keep knocking on doors. It's just think of it that way and and keep doing it. Yeah. Keep shaking hands. Keep kissing babies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, don't be, don't, don't follow in politicians' footsteps. Follow in girls' footsteps. (laughs) Oh man. I was a Girl Scout dropout. (laughs) That's a whole different, that's a whole different story. (laughs) You just went rogue. I was a Girl Scout too. Yeah. Actually, I was a brownie. I started with brownies. Did you do that too? I did brownies. I went all the way up to Senior Girl Scout, I think is what it was, and I got a silver award. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, I know. It sounds you amazing. You stuck with it. <laughs> I rem- we, it's, all we did was run a day camp, so it's not that. Oh, that's so Give cool, Give yourself though. credit. <laughs> I, re- I remember thinking to myself, like, when I was in the brownies, I remember thinking, like, that's such a weird name. Am I, like... A baked good? Am I like a pastry? Like I'm like we are brownies like for eating because I associated it with like the cookies and stuff and I was like okay okay I can get into that but then it turned out to just be like too much structure for me and I was like I can't I can't do this. That's right. Yeah. I did They're not have that awareness. Because, My mom yeah. had that awareness. They're called brownies like, at, at, at that age because they're gooey and messy. <laughs> nice. But very, but very right. sweet. <laughs> yeah right that that checks out. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Let's make the conversation relevant again after I completely derailed us with cookie Bring talk. So um, I, I'm i also interested in, and I feel like I've been hearing more about the direct-to-publisher um, relationship. I mean, I recently saw a what, what I think is an annual list from Bitsy Kemper on direct uh like publishers that you can query without having an agent and it's something that she tracks for uh for herself that feels intimidating uh especially in light of Mm -hmm. you know the contractual negotiation that you have to have as someone who may not have gone through any of that process before uh was it fun for you um contracts and the law give me the heebie-jeebies um honestly like when i have to read terms of service I get kind of anxious. Um, Mm -hmm. So yes, but um, my husband is an attorney, so he was able to help. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't have an attorney in the family, like I would totally be getting stuck on every word. Like, what does this mean? And do I get to do that? You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a thing for me. So (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. I have a friend. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend, um, Katrina, 
who is an uh critique partner of mine but she got a publishing deal without an agent and I remember her you know trying like asking for resources like where can I go like what organization you know will offer services to like help me negotiate this because the you know the agents just weren't biting it just wasn't working whatever she couldn't you know make that connection and so she had to negotiate herself and you know figure out all those terms um and i I forget now who she went through. I'll I'll find I'll find it and put some in the show notes though, because for anyone who's listening and you need you need that info, um, it's really helpful to figure out who can look at it for you if you don't know an attorney or don't have those resources. Yeah, um, I have a couple resources that I can share too. And then oh, great, put them in the too. Yeah, yeah, perfect. I can't think of them offhand, but I will share them. Just your oh, great. husband's law firm. <laughs> right right he switched career paths now and he just represents authors <laughs> no he doesn't do publishing law he just knows contracts so yeah we are not contractually obligated to at this point take a break in our episode but it is something that we nevertheless enjoy doing we wanted to take some time to review some books brenna's review this week is for linus the little yellow pencil by scott magoon this is a very clever clever story about a pencil trying to find his way the wordplay is next level and so are the illustrations but the thing that really makes this book stand out the social emotional learning layer who knew an eraser could elicit so much anger or embarrassment or that a pencil could struggle with his inner or eraser self so much in finding his way in the world kid friendly relatable and smart don't let this get this one get buried in the pencil shavings Alexandra Hoffman's, uh, this is uh, John's review for the week, Alexandra Hoffman's masterpiece, beautifully illustrated by Beatrice Mello, tells the story of how individuals with autism can express themselves in unique ways and how these differences should be celebrated. This book emphasizes the importance of acceptance and understanding of neurodiversity, making it a powerful tool for spreading awareness and promoting empathy among readers of all ages. A masterpiece indeed. And my review this week comes by way of our Justin Cologne of the Kidlet Hive himself, who posted a pic of this library grab on his Twitter, and I am better for it. Elbert in the Air by Monica Veselovska is a tale of otherness and finding your tribe. The best review I can offer for this book is what it did to bedtime the first night we read it. What happened to the mom? How will Elbert find his friends? How's he going to get down? It puts new meaning to the term rising action and has just the absolute sweetest ending that made me choke up a little bit. Check out our reviews in the show notes. And now for a quick Joy Bubble shout out from our friend Carrie Fannin, who I will preface by shouting out myself. Carrie gave me one of the most comprehensive and thoughtful critiques I could have ever hoped for a few months ago, and I am uh, better for it again. Uh, but this is Carrie's time in the spotlight. She'd like to give a shout out to her friend and writing buddy, Sarah Kruger for her resilience and positive attitude, as well as to say thank you for the many critiques. I love it when a shout out highlights someone who I also think is awesome. Thank you to both Sarah and Carrie. And now back to the show. Yeah. What, what is, I think, I think enough. I mean, I, I, I get the core of the title, but I'm, I'm curious about that as your, as your follow-up coming in the fall. I think I think Where a lot. You, you think I think a lot. titles no, together. Yes, I like I that. Did. I think I think enough. That's the next book, Jessica. That's the next <laughs> no, it's one. A, it's a, yeah, it's a sequel. It's a series about amounts. <laughs> or a prequel. I mean, it could go either way. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I think I think a lot is um, it's about a neurodiverse girl who um, thinks a lot. So I have OCD. Um, something that a lot of people don't really know about OCD is that it's more, actually, I won't even say it's more than handwashing because it's just not handwashing. Um, for mm. some people, it is handwashing, um, but it comes from a, a compulsive desire to know with certainty something. Um, so a handwasher wants to know that his or her hands are clean um, because if they're not, something is very wrong. Um, something bad could happen. They'll get a disease, things like that. Um, so a core thing, a core theme for OCD, people with OCD, is wanting to know with certainty um, whatever their themes might center around. So when I was 13, that's when I was diagnosed. Um, and I was recently, when I was writing this manuscript, went back to a journal I had. And a lot of what's in the book was inspired by some of the things that I was obsessing about at that time. And some of those things were um, like moral questions. Um, am I a good person? Um, did I hurt this person's feelings? And so I wanted the certainty of knowing that in the example of me hurting somebody's feelings that we were okay again, or they had forgiven me, or we were still friends. Um, so that's the obsession part of it. The compulsion is in the hand washing example, that's the washing, the actual washing. For me, a lot of my obsessions are um, mental. So um, my compulsion, what I do to try to relieve the obsession is internal. So the washing is the compulsion to relieve the feeling of uncleanliness. For me, it's rumination. So rethinking of things, um, going over situations a lot in my mind um, to the point of hyper-focus on them, um, inability to think about other things, do other things. It's about a child who thinks that way. And some of the themes that I was um, wrestling with in my OCD when I was younger come through in that, that narrative. Um, that's, that's kind of the long and the short of it, but, yeah. um, that's, that's my history that inspired that story. But, um, the publisher, and I think it's helpful for anybody who worries or, um, tends to be sort of an overthinker or, um, you know, just maybe feels a little bit like the girl in the story for whatever reason. So. Does it, does it present in that sort of like traditional conception of physical way or how do you, how do you sort of explore how, how it becomes real for the reader? Um, well, there's a lot of comparison in the book and I know publishers don't like to talk about comparison. Like we don't want to model comparing ourselves to other kids because that's not healthy and that's true. But, um, the girl in my book does compare herself to other kids because she's noticing that she's different and that, you know, other people don't have to apologize over and over again to their friends if something happens. Um, yeah, so she's noticing the difference between her and her peers, but ultimately comes to accept the way that she is and notices good things about it as well. So, um, 
can you say your question again? How I don't does, know what my question how is. Does that, <laughs> how does it, how does it present? present? How does it... Well, okay. So, so you, what you had relayed about your own personal experience with OCD is that I'm going to start my question. Wait, I saw you guys freeze. So I might've hung up for a second oh, there. I'm going to start my I question again. You. You're good. Okay. I'm um, still here. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just keep on wiggling. Uh, what you had relayed about your own presentation of OCD as being um, a mental manifestation. I'm going to sit and I'm going to ruminate. I'm going to walk through these. How, however it worked, you know, mentally for you is an internal struggle. A mm -hmm. lot of what people see is an outward presentation of lock and unlock, wash hands repeatedly, take walk the same steps in order yeah. to feel that sense of control and understanding and, and, and certainty. So I, I'm, I'm curious... I will be curious to see how that presents in, um, in, in the final, the final work, how the illustrations will come out, how you can get that sort of like repetitive motion, uh, mm -hmm. across. It's an interesting concept to explore and also super, super useful, as you said, just to reinforce that notion of this is not just for kids with OCD. I yeah. In fact, that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I don't, um, I only refer to my OCD in the author's note at the end. So it's nowhere in the text. It's more like, um, I, so what I'm, what I'm exploring here is uh, I've got kids with, um, with some significant levels of anxiety at various times. And, um, this is a very useful book to explore Thank you. a lot of, uh, a lot of anxiety texts and things that you might explore with a therapist or counselor are super clinical or mm -hmm. either really old fashioned. And so I'm extremely pro you know, relatable current modern texts that can can make these sorts of things real and help kids be represented in the feelings that they're that they're feeling and wrestling with. Yeah. So good on you. Thanks. I'm gonna get that on day one. <laughs> <with my kids. laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, um there was something okay. else I wanted to say about that. Oh, oh, I guess I didn't quite finish because I got distracted. Um, I didn't finish explaining the compulsion part of OCD for a child, like the child in the book. So checking, like you said, checking a lock, um, washing hands is a form of checking. So looking for certainty about the thing. Um, so it is apologizing a lot, um, saying the same thing over and over again, asking for reassurance is um, that that comes through in the book. And that's a common um, symptom, I guess. Common compulsion. When, when does it that that reminds me? Because I as I was listening to um, what you were saying, I was wondering, like, when do you feel like it becomes less about anxiety or worry or you know something that you can talk through, and like, where is the line where it becomes like an issue, like a sort of compulsion that you need to. Um, you know, figure out like another, like another option, like something else to deal with. Like, does it, cause like, so for instance, this is, this is sort of where I'm coming from. So in my family, there's a history of alcoholism. And so, you know, it becomes a problem, right. When it starts to affect like your daily life, that's sort of like the definition that you go on. So is that, is that similar? Like it starts to be like, like you're sort of paralyzed by this thought process and you can't do other things or yeah. Where's that line? Yeah. Yep. Once, once it begins to interfere with daily life is kind of what they always say, um, for any of the mental health stuff. Um, yeah. Once it, once it 
interferes and you find yourself thinking about it a lot, um, changing your behavior or, you know, like feeling very like um, closed off. Paralyzed. When people and other people notice your behavior changes sometimes is the first sign. I mean, what an important book for kids, you know, to see, I mean, for adults too, but just to see not only to have representation, but to also also sort of be aware of it and be like, oh, okay, like this might be an issue or to sort of give them language even to talk about what is going on or to, to pinpoint what it is. Because I think, especially with little, with little guys, right, if you're angry or anxious or, you know, any of those like really big emotions, it's really hard to articulate what is actually going on. Like my five-year-old, he just is like overcome with these emotions. You know, they're just like too big for his body to hold and he doesn't have the vocabulary to talk about it yet, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's various ways to deal, to deal with that and meltdowns and, you know, all of the rest of it. But I think older kids who might have the wherewithal to sort of understand that that's what's going on and then to be able to talk about it and to maybe even point to this book and be like, oh, I feel like that, right? Or this is me is such a like helpful insight for parents and caregivers and, and that kid to sort of figure out like, okay, what do we do next? Like, where, where do we go with this? Thank you. I hope, I hope that um, parents find it helpful. How do you, this is something that we kind of explored with our guest, uh, Samantha Gaspin that we've aired uh, a few weeks ago chronologically as of this recording who knows when or this episode does live our our lives are chaos but um this notion of you you're writing important and and very personal texts um that that are gonna fit into the hole in in some kids minds hopefully how do you think about that from a, a marketing perspective this feels very crass and commercial um, to talk about that, but, but, but it's the business that we're in. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not sure. Can you clarify what you mean a little bit? <laughs> Sorry. Mm, so well, go ahead. I was going to use Samantha as an example. So she wrote mm-hmm. her book, um, uh, rainbow baby about her miscarriage. And so we, we had t- spoken to her about, okay, so this is a really important book, like same, th- same sort of thing. Right. But the marketing of a book like that, right. Like that feels like, like, Oh, like who do we market this to? Because the core audience, right. Is going to be somebody mm-hmm. who has had a miscarriage and you don't want to be like, Hey, you had a miscarriage. Here's my book. Right. So yeah. it was sort of that thinking, like, how do you, where do you feel like it might fit in or like, where's a good starting place to sort of get the word out about this book? Um, yeah, that's a a question I hadn't thought of super much. Um, I guess I think about it more, (laughs) I guess I think about it more with enough because enough is about having what you need and having less. So I'm trying to sell a book about having less. Lots Um, of a book about having less. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. totally. So, um, you know, I mean... I don't know. I don't know where I come down on that. Um, certainly the book has to be sold. Um, if it's going to be, if it's going to reach people, um, I'm very pro libraries. I'm very pro borrowing the book, you know? Um, yeah. so, um, I guess however, however my books get to their readers, um, 
I just, I mean, I hope they get where they need to, um, whether it's from a school or a parent or with, I think, I think a lot, I would love to be able to um, get it in therapist's office so that they could lend it out to families. Um, yeah. Cause I've gotten many books that way. <laughs> yep. um, and yeah. you're right, Josh, it's a different, there's a different voice in those books. So I hope to, um, I hope that I think, I think a lot is a more relatable kind of book that can be used in the same way. Um, and if it's more relatable and more trade publication that hopefully mm -hmm. it's more accessible and maybe a little more credible. Um, it's not like, um, the sort of books that sit in therapists and counselors offices are not like educational market books, but they're certainly not broadly commercial books. And so right. it feels to me from my perspective as a parent, as though there is a place in the market for, um, for, for books with a, with a more a broadly acceptable voice. That's kind of what I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at with exploring yes. this. Yeah. Yes, I definitely agree. In fact, that's what I was, um, that's one of the points I was making in my query letters that, you know, the books I've encountered in therapist's office aren't like this. They're more mm. instructive and a little bit harder to access um, mm. from the reader's level. So yeah, I, I hope to sort of combine that, um, those two markets in this book. Can I, can I explore a different marketing question, unless you had a follow-up that was related, because I'm going to take it in a different direction. That's right. fine. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think, based on the conversation that we've had for the last 45 minutes, that this is uh, something that you intended with Enough Is. Um, but I, on first reading, I kind of read it this way. Are okay. there any anti-capitalist vibes that you are putting out with Enough Is? Mm -hmm. um, well, I would love I mean, if that I... were the case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I have to work to think in, um, in terms of a continuum, like my tendency is to want to think black and white. Um, yes, capitalism, no capitalism, if that's where we're going. Um, but so I guess I would say instead of anti-capitalist, I would say anti-consumption, um, or just just measured consumption, because certainly I'm not an economist and every, every economic system has its um, problems and none of them solve the problem of wanting or being told to want something, even if you don't truly want it, um, like a billboard does. So for me, it's more about contentment and satisfaction, um, because I think a lot of our problems come from wanting, like you can you can boil down a lot of issues in society in the world to wanting um and sometimes we want things and get hurt by that uh sometimes the wanting itself is painful and i think it's character building to you know deny yourself because a lot of times denying yourself means that somebody else benefits so i think of it more in terms of watching out for times that we're consuming too much or when our wanting becomes a problem or, um, you know, is if when there's a cost to wanting and getting what you have wanted. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it's certainly, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not cynical um, in its critique of capitalism, but it is not not explicit critique of capitalism. But it, it does it causes some natural introspection. I mean, Brenna, you talked about the, the the illustration style and the umbrella spread and all that. My favorite spread is one of the early spreads where it's boy, little bitty characters surrounded by giant billboards and demands, which mm. I I get to kind of represent the mental state that a lot of us are in, where we. I want another snack. I want another thing, a toy or whatever. Let's get in the mindset of being content with what we have. But that is, that is also the literal reality that we live in. It is. Um, yeah. And, and it is a very, very relatable visual. And it's something that I, as a parent, try to act against. Um, hmm. You know, we try to limit Christmas gifts. Um, you know, we, I shop at the thrift store a lot. <laughs> so like, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, there's a lot of reasons to, you know, to try and waste less, to try and share more. So yeah, I mean, it's there. <laughs> the minimalist in me loves all of that. Josh knows that I don't like stuff. I hate having stuff in my, in my area, in my house, in my car. Like I just, I don't, I don't like it. I can't move. I don't, I feel like it's like closing in on me and I don't need, yeah, we don't need all this stuff. Like my, my very favorite thing about moving is that generally like half of my stuff gets cut down. I love that. Like it's so much easier to move, right? When you don't have stuff and I don't, I don't come from having that much anyways, but like getting rid of so much extra just feels like it's very freeing. And I'm constantly making trips to like Goodwill and, you know, donating stuff and just whatever, because we don't, don't need all of it, you know? Yeah. I'm definitely not a minimalist. Um, I am an aspiring minimalist. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's very hard with kids. It's really hard. I was going to say, it's really hard with kids. Yeah. I mean, my kid, my kid is not a minimalist. So (laughs) anyone out there thinking that I'm like doing this great job, like keeping my kid from like having a bunch of toys. No, it's not. It's not true. Like he has so much stuff, like way too much stuff. I, cause I'll be like getting rid of stuff. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go to Goodwill. Like, let's see, you know, like what I can get rid of. He's like, mama, not my stuff. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm not going to take any of your stuff. Like it's all, it's my stuff. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, take it kids, when you're it's not easy. Yeah. I don't yeah. mean to convey <laughs> at all that I have this figured out or that I'm, you know, doing it right. I just, I just want, it started with the idea that I wanted to think about these things and I wanted my family to think mm. about these things. And um, I think anywhere we look, we can see that there's, there's a lot to think about on this topic. And um, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So go, so go and buy Jessica's book. It's just the one, that one <laughs> yeah. more thing, and then the start changing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, but before we run out of time, we have to do Dead Manuscript Society. If oh, yeah. you would like to participate, I would I love would. to hear. Just tell me what you your want dead me manuscript. to do. Yeah. You just bring up whatever whatever dead manuscript you love and want to share, and you just read it, and that's it. Okay. Let's do it. And then I you're part of this- the club. Yeah, from this conversation, I expect that you've sold every manuscript that you've written. So I don't, I can't. Imagine yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the folder is empty. Right. It's categorically not true. <laughs> um, so this is called "Today Was Not My Favorite," and I looked at the timestamp. It it's about four years old, um, and I don't think I'll ever come back to it. So, today was not my favorite. 
Oh, oh, interesting. Let me, before I start, there's a lot of annoying rhyme in here. It's annoying, not because it's rhyme. <laughs> it's annoying because it's annoying. Just so you know. Oh, okay. 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 Here's why we don't go I back. like I, that disclaimer. One of my, one of my <laughs> Author's note. One of my critique partners a long time ago said, my husband heard me reading this and he just wanted me to stop. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, ouch. <laughs> okay, oh, okay. Thank you for the feedback. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. Today was not my favorite. Come here, my dear. Mama called after my stomping feet. Today was not my favorite. First, it's 715, Jellybean. Then, all done, little one. I wanted to stand, but on your bum, sugar plum. When the door opened, time to go, girlio. And so throughout all of these situations, the child is like being redirected or asked to stop the thing that he or she is doing. Mama says no is a hard word for kids to hear. Guess that's why she never actually said it. In a store, can we get one? Maybe, baby. But she never said yes either. And then she's looking at something on the ground. When there was finally something I wanted to do, leave it there, honey bear, or that's the end, my friend. It was getting to be snack time. Not for you, bugaboo. See, it's just, it's like going. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I thought if I helped, we'd be done faster. That's all, baby doll. And it's like, I don't know, bananas or something. Oranges come rolling off the display at the grocery store. Did that mean it's time to leave? And then so she leaves. She runs out the door and the mom's like, hold up, buttercup. But no, I didn't want to hold up. I didn't want to go to the store or the dry cleaner and definitely not the post office. What I wanted to do, sorry, what I wanted was to snooze, splatter, and stand. I wanted to go grab and play. I wanted to taste, touch, and come here, my dear. Mama called after my stomping feet. She knows today was not my favorite. And on this spread, they're in an ice cream shop. Um, so, yeah. And then, oh, and then the last page is like, ice cream for me? And the mom says, you bet. And that's it. So, yeah. That didn't go anywhere. I, <laughs> I, I love... <laughs> I love the sentiment. I feel like I'm the girl in that story. Like I hate being told what to do and being, you know, redirected and having to do chores. And like, I don't like going to the post office either. I'm with that girl. And yeah. my favorite rhyme was time to go girlio. I yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan. That was great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a manuscript. I think Brenda, you probably know which one it is. That sounds so much like this one from the perspective of it's not a it's not a metered rhyme it's an internal internal rhyme if that's the right term to use that i loved when i wrote it but i i realize is kind of it's a little bit painful and not, yeah. not quite right. yeah. <laughs> it's got a bummer of a mom in it too <laughs> oh, oh moms are such bummers yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing your dead manuscript with us because I know I know it's hard to share your work, but we just, we, you know, we started it because we just, well, Sam was telling us about her, you know, really fun rhymer that didn't go anywhere. And we were like, read it, read it, read it. And then Josh came up with this great name for it. And we were like, I mean, yeah, like, let's give let's give these dead manuscripts some love because they have a place, you know, they yeah. have a, and it's, you know, it's fun to revisit. And I just, I know it's vulnerable to share your work. So I appreciate you being part of the Dead Manuscript Society. You're officially in the club. Welcome. Thank you for <laughs> inviting me. I am so happy to be here. 
<laughs> we covered a lot. It's my turn to ask this question. We covered a lot. Is there anything else that we haven't covered? Um, I don't think so. The whole thing. We haven't covered the contents of your 60s secretary's desk. I don't know. It's chock, chock full of too much stuff. <laughs> yeah. We'll do an expose. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not chock full of stuff because there's not enough space. Remember? There's That's just right. not. That's it's right. like too. Yeah. There's too many. Like in my experience, there are like too many compartments and shelves and it like wasn't. I couldn't like get in there. Yeah. It's actually quite empty right now. I feel like I'm not honoring it very well. And it's the whole thing. <laughs> We've certainly honored it on this podcast probably more than you expected. To. That's true. I, I see it yeah. behind me just kind of like, here I am. <laughs> just staring. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jessica, thank you so, so much for coming on. We really appreciated it. This was a really fun episode. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thanks for listening this week. Find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next verse. Bye.